Welcome to the Factual Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factual. I'm Jimmy Lovis. Today is June 22nd, and in this week's forecast, we've got a look at the surge in violence in the West Bank, New York City's Pride March, elections in Guatemala, the Hajj pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia, and a UN mandate ending in Mali. You can also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Up first, we'll take a look at the escalating violence in the occupied West Bank. For more on that, I've got our Middle East and Africa desk lead, Ahmed Namatala. Hey, Ahmed. Hello, Jimmy. Hey, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. There's been a lot of news coming out of the West Bank this week, and I'm hoping you can get us caught up on what we need to know. Can you give us a recap? What's up? Well, two days ago, it started with uh, the Israeli military raiding the West Bank town of Jenin, which is um, the headquarters, you could call it, for Palestinian militants in the West Bank. They killed six Palestinians uh, who were all militants. The Palestinians then responded by uh, conducting a shooting attack that killed four Israelis. This was in the West Bank settlement of Eli. Israeli settlers retaliated, uh, these are civilians, by uh, raiding a Palestinian village of Tormoseya and uh, killing uh, one Palestinian and injuring 10 others. And this was with gunfire. Uh, it escalated further today with Israel conducting a drone strike. Uh, targeting uh, three Palestinian militants in a car near Janine again. And um, this was the first such targeted killing in almost two decades. Uh, we are now looking at Hamas and Islamic Jihad, the two uh, main Palestinian militant organizations uh, vowing to respond. Uh, others have joined in. And uh, as we speak, Israeli forces are in the town of Nablus, uh, demolishing the home of a Palestinian militant who's imprisoned in Israel and accused of conducting an attack on Israeli forces a few months ago. So what's the response to the violence been like domestically and internationally, for that matter? It's, it's, uh, it's always split in two, right? You have the Gaza Strip based uh, militant organizations that are quick and um, uh, always using uh, escalatory language. Uh, and then you have the Palestinian Authority uh, led by the president, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who has remained silent for the most part, although today they did issue a kind of bland statement that sides with the Palestinians, obviously. So Really, on the ground, the response is uh, unfortunately often seen in terms of more violence. Uh, and then eventually, usually we see some sort of uh, agreement to stop. But um, this time around, it does not appear that this round of violence is over. Internationally, uh, Arab countries have been uh, issuing their usual statements siding with the Palestinians and calling for calm. The U.S. Uh, has uh, done the usual in siding with Israel and condemning violence on both sides. Um, 
but it does not appear that any international player has enough leverage to cause meaningful intervention. Okay, Ahmed, I know you love it, or maybe hate it, when we ask you to predict the future. So what do you think folks should be watching for next? Well, you don't have to predict the future. You only need to look at how past uh, similar escalations have played out. You can expect more uh, retaliatory actions from the Palestinians. You can expect Israel to continue uh, more military action in the West Bank. Just this, uh, just yesterday, uh, the Israeli military said it's sending more battalions to the West Bank. This is the second round of reinforcement in recent weeks. Um, politically, the Israelis are also escalating the scene uh, by announcing. Uh, the building of uh, thousands more uh, of homes uh, for settlers uh, in the occupied West Bank. In addition to uh, the escalation in the West Bank, UE also cannot rule out uh, rocket fire from the Gaza Strip. Um, We have seen that tactic being used before when Palestinian militant organizations want to respond to Israeli military action in the West Bank. Um, so it really can uh, happen in any part of uh, Palestinian territories in the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, um, possibly even inside um, mainland Israel. Well, Ahmed, I always appreciate your briefs, and today is no different. Thanks for keeping us plugged in. Thank you, Jim. Take care. New York City's Pride March will return Sunday. The march, which is believed to be the world's largest pride celebration, is held to commemorate the anniversary of the 1969 Stonewall Uprising, a pivotal event in the modern LGBTQ liberation movement. And now, more than 50 years after the riots, LGBTQ rights are still a work in progress. In fact, the U.S. advocacy group Human Rights Campaign has declared a state of emergency for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer Americans. That comes amid a recent slew of legislative attempts to restrict their rights in at least 20 states. Now, federal authorities are monitoring risks to pride marches across the country, and one person has even been indicted for making threats against Nashville's upcoming pride event. New York City's pride march will begin at noon near Madison Square Park and head south toward Lower Manhattan. It will pass by the Stonewall National Monument and the New York City AIDS Memorial before dispersing in Chelsea. Organizers say millions of people, including parade participants and attendees, are expected to gather for the event. Guatemalans will choose the country's next president and congressional lawmakers on Sunday. It will mark the end of a turbulent and controversial election season. At least four presidential candidates have been disqualified by Guatemala's constitutional court over alleged administrative errors during their submission process. Among the disqualified candidates is a frontrunner in the polls, Carlos Pineda, of the Prosperidad Ciudadana Party. The three main candidates that remain leading in the polls include far-right Suri Rios, the daughter of military dictator Efrain Rios, who was charged with genocide and crimes against humanity before his death. Also leading in the polls is center-right former First Lady Sandra Torres, whose party, Unidad Nacional de la Esperanza, is currently the biggest in the country. And finally, there's center-right former diplomat Edmund Millet from the Cabal Party. 
Now, the Guatemalan army has deployed more than 25,000 members to guarantee security at polling stations, main roads, ports, and airports. That, after security forces declared the vote a high-risk event. More than 68,000 national police officers will also participate in the operation. In order to be elected, a candidate needs more than 50% of votes in the first round of the election. A runoff is scheduled for August 20th if none of the contenders achieve the necessary majority in the initial round. Following the sighting of the crescent moon in Saudi Arabia, the largest annual religious pilgrimage of Muslims in Mecca, known as Hajj, is set to begin on Monday. The Muslim holiday of Eid al-Adha will be celebrated the following Wednesday. Around 2 million people are expected to travel to Mecca for Hajj, the first time restrictions have been lifted since the coronavirus pandemic began in 2020. Saudi Arabia said it would host more than 1,300 Muslim pilgrims as official guests from across 90 countries during this year's five-day Hajj pilgrimage. That, despite criticism from some countries, including Nigeria and the United Kingdom, about Riyadh's cut on the quota of people allowed to visit as part of the program. Now, the normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran have already had an impact on this year's Hajj. It's paved the way for Yemeni pilgrims to depart Sana'a on the first direct flight to Saudi Arabia since 2016. Although Israel had been planning to begin direct flights to Saudi Arabia, Israeli officials said this week that would likely be pushed back a year. And finally, there's the weather. Saudi Arabia's forecasters have said temperatures in Mecca during the Hajj period could reach up to 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Those higher-than-normal temperatures have raised fears of incidents similar to the stampede during the 2015 pilgrimage, in which hundreds and possibly even thousands of people died in a crowd crush. After more than a decade of work trying to stabilize Mali, the United Nations could soon be forced to leave. That, as its mandate, is set to end next Thursday, barring an unlikely extension. The UN Security Council established a peacekeeping mission in the West African nation back in 2013. It came after a military coup destabilized the region in 2012, and thousands of troops have since worked as peacekeepers in the country, with an annual budget of more than $1 billion. But those efforts have not produced enough results to satisfy the local residents. Malians have continued to deal with deadly jihadist attacks for the entirety of the UN mission and are now under military rule following two other coups in 2020 and 2021. Those military leaders broke an alliance with France, its former colonial power, and recently urged the UN to withdraw all troops, calling them part of the problem. The United States extended support for the mission but said its drawdown must be orderly and responsible. Now, Malian military leaders are working closely with Russia's Wagner Group, despite claims of human rights abuses by the mercenaries. The United States has accused Wagner of meddling in several countries, destabilizing them in the process. The absence of UN peacekeepers may lead to a rise of Russia-backed warfare in Mali. It also represents a failure of UN's peacekeeping ability in favor of mercenaries. As always, thank you for listening to The Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast and newsletter each Thursday to help you get a jump start on the week ahead. Please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. And we'd love it if you consider telling a friend about us. Today's episode was produced with work from Factual Editors Vivian Wang, Irene Viora, Agnese Bufano, and Jeff Lancet. 
Our interview featured editor Ahmed Namatala, and the podcast is produced and edited by me, Jimmy Lovis. Our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gosby. Until next time, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com.